There's only uh, half as many people here this evening. I guess it's understandable, being Christmas Day, most people are spending time with their families. Um, But still, uh, in the spirit of Christmas, I would like to uh, offer a contemplation, a consideration, and some some thoughts on on what seems to be the uh, most dominant characteristic of Christmas these days, which is giving, giving and receiving. Hmm. On the most obvious material level, we here are definitely on the receiving end of, of all your giving. But also, hopefully, uh, you feel you receive something as well when you come here. And, and this contemplating the, the reality, the Dhamma, of giving and receiving can be very fruitful. Because if there isn't mindfulness, if there isn't understanding associated with giving and receiving, well, uh, one thing is we can miss out on a lot of the benefit. And secondly, we may not be as skilled as we possibly could be in cultivating it. Because as with uh, all the other virtues, this generosity and gratitude, these are, these are qualities of heart that call for attention and call for cultivation. So this tradition of giving and receiving at Christmas is actually not, not been what Christmas is all about. All the time. That's what I grew up thinking that, you know, since the time of Jesus, the giving and receiving was what Christmas was all about. But it turns out that uh, this is quite a recent, relatively recent uh, tradition, maybe 150 years old, that it's been like this, or maybe even 100 years old, and it's been getting more, more evident all around the world. I hear that now. They estimate something like 30% of the Chinese are celebrating Christmas. And I don't myself feel that, that this is the case just because it's, it's American culture that's being imported along with consumerism. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is why people do Christmas. I, I really feel that the uh, giving and receiving... There's a spirit there. There's something there that's very beautiful, something that's very good, inherently good, that human beings love and, and enjoy an opportunity to, to, uh, to perform. You can see in all sorts of situations when you want to start a, a communication or a relationship or you want to mend one or well, you, you give a gift Something happens. There's, a, there's much more than just the gift is given. 
So to contemplate this can be very skillful. And I was, um, this afternoon, I I listened to Her Majesty's speech to the Commonwealth at three o'clock. I would, well, the last few years, I was going to say always, well, when I was a kid, I, and the other side of the, of the Commonwealth, I didn't used to listen to Her Majesty's speech. But these days, the last few years, I've, I've always enjoyed listening to what she had to say. And it does reach a lot of people. And also, likewise, I, I like to listen to what, uh, what the Archbishop of Canterbury has had to say or the Pope. So today I did listen to Her Majesty's speech and I was pleased to see the, the emphasis that she gave to uh, the need to cultivate uh, selfless, selflessness and generosity that, uh, as is evident for anybody and everybody, it's the last year's been a difficult time for a lot of people. And without uh, generosity and, and selflessness on the part of many people, it would have been a lot worse. And she was giving a lot of emphasis in her talk to the need to cultivate this. And she made mention to the fact that she thought that perhaps it was a, an instinct in human beings that uh, we... we we wanted to be generous in, in, in the face of, of uh, people suffering. And, and I do think this is the case. I think it's the most natural thing, actually. When uh, you see somebody suffering, when the heart is open, the heart is not distorted or, con- or disfigured or contracted with selfishness. It's the most natural thing to reach and say, how can I help? Uh, because we all realize, actually, we're all in this together. We're one human family, regardless of our religion or our race or our gender or our age. We're all in this together and we all know that we suffer and and it's a natural instinct, I'm convinced, that we want to help when we see suffering. But of course things do get in the way and as Her Majesty pointed out that uh, religion makes a big difference with dealing with what gets in the way. that, That it's one of the Indeed, one of the primary aims, certainly as far as Buddhism is concerned, and I suspect probably Christians would say the same thing, that one of the primary aims of of religion is to help us deal with that which gets in the way of this most natural instinct to help people who are suffering. What gets in the way with being spontaneously generous? What gets in the way of a natural feeling of gratitude for having received so much. And she quoted in her speech that, that Christian teaching that, I forget exactly what she said, but as I remember from when I was a child, it said, do unto others as you would that they should do unto you. In other words, you should you know, treat people as you would like to be treated. And, and uh, there's a lot of uh, virtue in that, but... I can remember as a child, I remember seeing my friend actually being beaten <laughs> by somebody. Say, do unto others as you would that they should be do unto you. You naughty boy, remember, say it again, say it again. Do unto others as you would. It was a moral injunction. There's was kind of beating into actually this friend of mine, uh, Murray Gilmore, was being beaten by his mother for being a naughty boy. And as I remember it, I, my memory may be distorted, but that's how I recall it. And these teachings, these, these, these spiritual injunctions, you know, generosity and do unto others as you would that they should do unto you, these are all very good. But there needs to be understanding. It's important, and, and this is what well, I'm so grateful to Buddhist teaching for, 
the, uh, not just teaching about how we should be generous and grateful, but also understanding what's going on. What is the reality? Why do we like giving? Why do we like receiving? What is it? What's, what's really going on there? Now, it's true that some of Christmas, for instance, is not very attractive and, and, and people can sometimes dismiss the whole thing and say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with Christmas. I, I wish it didn't exist and, and, and get very depressed and negative about it all. But the, there are parts of it, like the sharing of gifts, the giving of gifts, which is actually very beautiful. And what is it that we don't like? Well, what we don't like is, is where greed gets in the way or fear gets in the way or commercialism gets in the way. So if we reflect on on the, the actuality of giving and receiving, or in this case, in the actuality of the, what's going on at Christmas, well, then we can see what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. Where, where we go out of balance. What are these things? The motivation to give is good, but then if we get caught up in the fear, for instance, that maybe our gift is not going to be received, or maybe they won't like our gift, or maybe my motivation is not pure, well, that, if we get caught up in that, understandable as some of those things may be, as we get caught up in it, well, then we spoil it. But that doesn't mean it's to say there's anything wrong with the original motivation. So with mindfulness and with careful consideration, we can start to see where we go out of balance. And in, uh, in the Pope Benedict, in his speech today, was talking about the, the need to balance, or one of his comments um, was about the need to balance technological development with, with spiritual development. And he was saying something along the lines that uh, we run the risk of becoming so technologically sophisticated that our hearts remain cold and empty. And, um, and I think there's a, there's a real point in that. I, I wouldn't put down technology. I wouldn't blame technology because technology is perfectly neutral. Like, you know, with Christmas, we could blame Christmas for our unhappiness when, in fact, it's the, maybe it's the over-commercialization of Christmas that's a problem or greed is a problem or anxiety is a problem. It's not Christmas a problem. Likewise, it's not technology that's a problem. So, Technology is a tool. It's how we use it that matters. It's a very powerful tool, very powerful tool. I often reflect on how Personally, I don't think the world has changed very much or human beings have changed very much in the last few thousand years. What has changed is that technology now amplifies the consequence of our action. So our ignorance and selfishness is amplified by technology and the consequence is much greater. So, uh, yeah, if there's mindfulness, if there's carefulness, if there's discernment, well then... With our giving and with our receiving, we can investigate. We can feel for what's going on. What's, what accords with that which we experience as truly beautiful about generosity? When we, when we see generosity being performed or we see selflessness. Now, this is, these are the questions we need to ask ourselves if, if we want to cultivate these qualities. Too often, religion just tells us how we should be. Dr. Williams, the Archbishop, today in his, in his sermon, and, uh, 
was actually characteristically very contemplative. It wasn't just a, a preaching, but it, it was an encouragement, as, as the parts that I, I, I read, was an encouragement to, to really look at for ourselves, to think for ourselves, not just to uh, tell ourselves how we should be or how we could be, but to really, to really inquire. And some of the things he said were very beautiful. He was talking about how no life should be left out of the circle of love. He was talking about some of the, uh, the tyrants in the planet and some of the terrible murders and violent attacks that have happened in Britain over the last few months and, and the beautiful example of some of those involved who, who showed the heart of forgiveness. And he was talking about how this heart of forgiveness is something that can be cultivated. If we have the right view, the right attitude, the right principles, like a commitment to include all beings in the heart of love, that's a wonderful thing. When so many people on the planet are still, still talking about going to war or still implementing the, you know, the death sentence on, on prisoners' eyes, it's a wonderful and inspiring thing to hear one of the, the world's leaders uh, saying such a thing. However, it still comes down to the, the reality that we need to cultivate these qualities. It's true, it's wonderful, it's inspiring to say that no life should be left out of the circle of love. That's something that one can easily remember and go along with. But how do we actually do it? How do we, how do we go about uh, generating these feelings of love, of selflessness, of generosity? Yeah. We, need, we need these qualities. If we don't have these qualities, well, then the world is an intolerable place. And I don't just mean the physical world. The world we really live in is actually the world of the heart. And one of the things that Her Majesty said in her speech that I didn't altogether agree with, she said, she was talking about how this world that we live in is not always a very safe place. And if we didn't have selflessness and generosity, well, this unsafe place would be uh, intolerable to live in. Well, that's relatively true, but... The world that we really live in is not this physical world, and it's not just that this world is not sometimes a not safe place to live in. This physical world is always not a safe place to live in. Now, there are a few privileged, fortunate people who can surround themselves with, with conditions that make themselves feel safe and secure, but that's only the minority of people on the planet. Yeah. And all they do really is sink into the delusion that like, this world is a safe place, this physical world is a safe place to live in. It's not a safe place to live in. Anything could happen. Tidal waves, earthquakes, hurricanes, physically anything could happen, or murderous attacks, or all sorts of things. And this is normal, actually. This is not, these are not things gone wrong. These are actually normal things that happen in this physical world. So the wise thing to do is to realize that uh, this physical world is always not a safe place to live in. But this isn't the world that we really live in, the physical world. Uh, the real world we live in is the world of our hearts. And this is why it's so important that we develop wisdom, develop selflessness, develop generosity, develop gratitude, because these are the things that, uh, that really affect us. So how do we cultivate them? Well, as we've been saying the last few weeks and talking about cultivating virtues and one of the places we can start is to look and see what is it like when we don't have 
these things. So we, because we know the experience of, of selfishness. We know the experience of a lack of generosity. We know the experience of a lack of gratitude. And, and instead of just telling ourselves how we should be, with our mindfulness, here and now, judgment-free awareness, we can really examine what is the experience of selfishness. When I get caught up in selfishness, or somebody else, you see somebody else get caught up in selfishness, is it beautiful? Is it intelligent? Like we've spoken about many times before, when we get caught up in anger, we lose our intelligence. Well, likewise, when we get caught up in selfishness, we lose our intelligence. We can't think straight. There's a, a case recently in a woman in America. Her boyfriend wanted to use her mobile phone, and she wouldn't give it to him. So what did she do? She stuck it in her mouth and swallowed it. And fortunately, her boyfriend was very generous and kind and considerate and rang up the emergency services and said, my girlfriend's having trouble breathing. <laughs> and the phone got stuck in her throat. Anyway, the story's got a good ending because um, the emergency services managed to get it out again. And I think she's probably being more generous to her boyfriend now. Now, you know, that's a <laughs> humorous example of uh, <laughs> you know, selfishness. There are also... Yeah, and selfishness leads to lack of intelligence. But also, there are some not-so-humorous examples. I don't know if you heard about that case recently on the continent where there's a charity giving out uh, food and, and meals to poor people, but uh, they're making sure that all the food they give out has got pork in it because they don't want to feed Muslims and Jews. But they're not allowed to discriminate against them, so they just make sure all the food's got pork in it. Now... Now, when you hear something like that, what does it make you feel? Yeah. There's, oh, they're being generous, but it's not beautiful generosity, is it? It's not beautiful. We could just jump to a judgment and, and have an opinion about the people who are practicing such a limited form of generosity. But what would be more important, what would be more useful, is to stop and, and look and feel how we feel about that and feel what it's like. And there's something, you know, there's something quite ugly about that and quite sad and hurtful. And that's my experience. That's what really hurts. But what is it that gets hurt? What is it that gets hurt, gets hurt when we see selfishness or ugliness like that? It's no good really just saying, oh, they're ugly people. That was an ugly act. And it's certainly no good just getting angry at them you know, or offended or indignant, but maybe what's more useful is to feel for that place within ourselves that really doesn't like selfishness. Because if we do, if we feel that place within ourselves and we know that we can be selfish and we know that we can be ugly, well, then we're motivated, we're really motivated to undo that tendency within ourselves. And so this is the, the role of contemplation. This is how if we, if we really contemplate, if we really consider what's going on when we experience uh, or on the giving end or receiving end of generosity. If we consider it, well, then we can start to do something within ourselves. We can change the way we ourselves are. We become more generous. We can, ourselves can become less selfish. So we can look at the absence of generosity or gratitude and the presence of selfishness or or we look at the presence of, of generosity or selflessness and, and see what it's like. Well, when we witness it in others, 
we witnessed selflessness. I think it was yesterday there were some people came with a little baby. I think it was only just a few weeks old, and it was maybe just a month old, and they, they wanted their baby blessed. And it was so beautiful to see, because a lot of there was a lot of mothers here yesterday, and and they, there's a there's this it triggers something. They've had children themselves, and. And as the Buddha himself pointed out, the, the cultivating the heart of loving kindness, you just want to look at a mother with her only child. That selflessness, that tendency of the mother to forget about herself and to think about others completely, how beautiful that is. How really beautiful that is. Now, instead of just being inspired or impressed or touched or whatever by, by something like that, well, when we experience or we witness the beauty of selflessness, the beauty of generosity, the beauty of gratitude, we can turn the light of awareness, turn our reflective awareness inwards and, and feel what's really going on there and try and understand. Because when there's understanding, that enhances the goodness. Yeah. So it's fine we can be told that we should be generous and we can try and be generous and so on, but sometimes we're not generous, sometimes we're selfish and we don't want to be generous. We can be told that we should be grateful and we can try and be grateful, but sometimes we're just not grateful. But with understanding, understanding transforms the whole process. When there's understanding, there's a whole different relationship. As we were talking about last week, the, the power of understanding. When there's understanding, when we, we start to see the bigger picture, we start to see the pain that comes from selfishness. We start to see it for ourselves. We start to see the consequence of our ignorance, of our wrong understanding. And this, of course, applies on all levels. Tomorrow is the anniversary of the tsunami. A lot of, a lot of suffering right around the world, and not just the people in Southeast Asia who are directly affected by it, but those who were also visiting there at the time from all around the world. And and there's been people trying to find out, you know, how to avoid such a thing happening again in the future. And one of the studies that they've done in Sri Lanka, they, they compared two villages. One village where they had replaced the mangroves, on the, the mangroves that used to naturally grow on the beach there, they replaced them with shrimp farm and tourist resorts. And as a result, that village, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were killed. With another village very nearby where they hadn't removed the mangroves, and two people died because the mangroves actually took the brunt of the tidal waves. And so the reaction is, oh, well, we've got to all go and plant mangroves now. And, uh, well, actually, you can't just grow mangroves where you, you know, just because you want to, That's, uh, and they're not that easy to grow anyway. But because of a lack of understanding in that case, you know, all the mangroves were removed, and, and then when the tidal wave comes along, there's nothing to, to buffer the, the coastline or the people. And, so understanding, if understanding is present, it transforms the situation. So likewise, with, with generosity, with gratitude, if we can, when we're engaging in it, if we can stop and consider it to the point where we come to get a feeling for what's really happening there yeah. at the time that it's happening. And that's why it's so important to to cultivate mindfulness in the moment, here and now, judgment-free awareness, so that when something's going along, like, like giving or receiving, we can be there for it. We can examine, we can inquire, we can investigate.
in a collection of talks that we put together called Seeing the Way, a collection of talks by disciples of Ajahn Chah. It was done some years ago. I remember there's a talk in there by Ajahn Vajiro near the end of the book, and he talks about about generosity and, and very skillfully leads the the reader now, the listener at the time, but the reader of this article, this, this written talk, through a contemplation on, on how generosity can be refined, or how generosity can be cultivated, and why it works for us. And he, he talks about the pain that we all experience, so the pain of separation. From very early on in life, from about the age of seven, we're, we're faced with this agonizing feeling of being a lonely, separate ego. And one of the ways that we try to deal with this is by engaging in relationship, by, by giving things. This is, this is something that we, we do to people that we love or people we want to get involved with. We, we give things. But he points out very well in this talk how there's different levels of giving. If we don't understand the different levels, well, maybe we don't cultivate it. He talks about the first stage where actually there's, there's a kind of of bartering going on, whereby I'll give you something if you give me something back. And so that's there sometimes. We, we give on all sorts of levels. We give materially or maybe give our attention or give our affection, give our kindness as a deal. But that kind of giving always has got with it it's the desire to get something back. So there's always fear as well. If we're caught up in desire, then there's also we're caught up in fear. Desire and fear go together like the front and the back of the hand. And so if we give with desire to get something back, then it's not very pure giving. And that's helpful to see. I'll say, right, okay, well, if I give my affection or give my attention wanting something back, well, then I'm going to be afraid of not getting anything back, and that spoils it and brings some anxiety into it. And then there's another level of giving which he talks about, which is actually sharing, which is slightly more open and, and slightly more refined. Where we actually share uh, something, partake in something together. But the essence of giving, as he points out, is what the Buddha taught about dana, where there's, where there's giving without expecting anything back which is more accurately translated as offering, where we offer something, whether it's offering materially or, or offering in the, in, of a, a little of ourselves. Because that's, that's really what's going on, isn't it? When we, when we give something, when we give something away, we give a little bit of ourselves away. Me and mine becomes diminished a little bit. And that's the really good feeling that I think people get off on when they're giving. I think that's really the spirit of generosity. I think children like giving because it gives a natural good feeling. I become a little bit lighter. Now, if we can understand this, if we can understand this, if we see this happening, then even when we find that we've got some selfish motivation, as sometimes is the case, you say, well, I really want to be generous, I really want to give, but also I really don't want to give. I want to give of my time, I want to go and help somebody, but no, I really want to meditate more. I want to meditate, make myself happy or make myself wise, or make myself more compassionate. So I'm not going to go and be generous. And then we get a little conflict going on. Well, if we're mindful and we can see that, say, well, 
the Buddha always praised generosity. Of the ten paramitas that the Buddha cultivated, the tenth one, the last one the Buddha perfected was generosity. Of the ten paramitas, the last one he perfected was generosity. There's always, it's always a good thing to cultivate generosity. So if we can hear that and we can feel inspired by that, well then, we see we maybe have a motivation to be generous, to give something or to give of our time or give of our attention. But then we feel inhibited. We feel, no, my motivation is not pure. I'm going to wait until my motivation is pure before I give anything. Well, if we do that, there's a chance we might never give. So even to see a small motivation to give is good to act on. And even if there's some impurity in our motivation to give, even if there's some impurity, there's still going to be some wholesomeness there as well, and the wholesomeness will develop. And then in the process, we can see that which is wholesome and that which is unwholesome. The next time, we'll, our giving will be a little bit more pure. So reflecting on it and hopefully coming to some understanding, and also, I think, uh, I, I'm a great fan, as you know, of engaging in ritual practices. I think ritual giving, like Christmas, I think it's a really good idea, but it needs to be purified. Yeah. Yeah. I like giving out Christmas cards and like getting them too, actually. Yeah. And when we sign our Christmas cards, I don't know, we did something like 240 Christmas cards this year. We signed all of us in the community here, sat around and signed them and, and making the effort as we're signing our Christmas cards to make it as a gift to sign a Christmas card. Put your signature, Ajumanenda, Ajumanenda, Ajumanenda. I could just, oh God, when's it ever going to end? Ajumanenda. Somebody actually told me, said, why don't you just get a stamp? I said, well, you could get a stamp or, you know, we've got pretty good technology in the office here. We could, we could scan it in and, on our Canon scanner and then we could import it into Corel drawer and then we could tidy it up and we could run it off and it could look like it was the real thing but it wouldn't be the real thing. And it wouldn't be the real thing. When people got the Christmas card, they, they wouldn't get all the energy that we put in there. So as it is, everybody, 240 people, receives all the loving kindness. Well, not all the loving kindness because I'm sure we weren't all perfect on every signature. <laughs> I know, I wasn't perfect, but we tried. And it's a beautiful thing to do, I think. And uh, the rituals that we, the other rituals that we have, like the with puja, and the ritual offering of candles and incense and flowers, I always think it's a wonderful thing to have a chance to keep the shrine beautiful, to put beautiful flowers on the shrine, to have beautiful incense. And these are offering things to the teacher, the teacher to whom we're so indebted, without these teachings, goodness knows where we'd be. I'm speaking personally, goodness knows where I would be. I'm so grateful that to have an opportunity to, to bow to the shrine, to offer one's heart, to offer respect, and then to offer, make physical offerings of candles, flowers, and incense. These gestures, particularly if performed regularly, have a wonderful, wonderful effect on the heart. When the heart knows, when we know that we can give, we know that we can outshine selfishness. One of the greatest fears that we have is the fears of our own heart. The fear that we're not going to be selfless, that we're going to be selfish. The fear that we're not going to be kind, that we're going to be angry. The fear that we're not going to be generous, we're going to be selfish. So cultivating these things helps overcome, outshine these fears that we have. So again, as I've said on many occasions before, I encourage the practice of beginning every day with an act of generosity. Yeah. Yeah. Of 
course, the first thing you can do is go to the bathroom and make yourself physically comfortable, maybe splash some water in your face and so you're fully awake. But then go to the shrine and bow to the shrine, offer a little bit of our hearts, offer a little bit of me to the Lord Buddha, the Lord Dhamma, the Lord Sangha. And then offering candles, offering incense, maybe offering some, some um, aspirations, determining the, the precepts or, or making some determinations to practice different aspects of Dhamma. These making offerings is the first gesture of the day. Every single day, I think they're a hugely skillful thing to do. And then the very last act of the day, likewise, an act of offering. Yeah. Traditionally in the monasteries and in Thailand, and I think probably in all, most Buddhist monasteries, one of the last ritual acts that you do is, is dedicating the punya that has been cultivated. And the punya, rather clumsily translated as merit, um, better understood as wholesome potential. I know it's slightly technical language, but I think it's helpful to understand what it really is, this energy of punya. Every time there's a wholesome motivation, an intention to act by way of body, speech or mind, and we engage that wholesome motivation, there's a momentum generated. There's a momentum. Just as if there's an unwholesome tendency we engage, there's an unwholesome momentum which will lead to suffering. Well, there's a wholesome momentum generated every time we engage in, in a wholesome intention to act by way of body, speech or mind. And that momentum is punya. If we engage that accumulated momentum skillfully, well, that punya eventually translate into, it translates into panya or wisdom and compassion. But the punya is the potential that we need to generate. And it's essential. If we don't have enough punya, or we don't have enough wholesome accumulations, well, then even though we have good aspirations and good hopes, they don't bear the fruits that we're looking for. So this is why in the Buddhist teachings it's so regularly encouraged to or traditionally talk about performing merit. And sometimes Western Buddhists will put this down as, as irrelevant or, or insignificant practices. Not at all insignificant. Because if we don't have enough punya, well, we can't realize the fruits of practice that we're aspiring for. However, if we do maybe have a lot of wholesome motivations and aspirations through the day, and, but then we keep them to ourselves... Well, this, all this accumulated merit can start to make us smell bad. We can, we can smell of goodness. And so the, the thing that's encouraged is to give it all away. As the last act of the day, and as we're going to do in just a, a few minutes, the chanting of the, through the goodness that arises from our practice is the, the last ritual act of the day. Here we do it in the temple each evening. But also I, I really encourage and I myself practice as the last act of the day before going to bed at night to stop and reflect whatever goodness has been generated today, no matter how small. Even if you've had a bad day and even if you've had a really wretched day, even if you think you've been a completely selfish slob all day, that's not true. You can't have been a completely selfish slob all day. It's just not possible. There must have been some moment of goodness. And so... Whatever degree of goodness, small amount or large amount of goodness, is the last act of the day. It can be really skillful to make this gesture of dedicating it, giving it away. And in the process of giving it away, I thought, when I first came across this, I thought, what are you giving away all your goodness for? You're supposed to be accumulating goodness. But actually, with right understanding, with some wise reflection, you find that when you give it away, it becomes potentized and becomes purified. 
And that's the point of, of wise giving. Not just generosity because it's a good thing to do, but because it accords with wisdom. The wisdom that enables us to let go of ourself. Really what we've got to give, what we've got to offer is ourselves. Offering ourselves completely. The more selfishness there is, the more contracted meanness there is, the more heavy I am, the more serious I take myself to be, and the more difficult it is for me to let go. So if we're inspired just a little bit by the teachings on generosity, well then actually we understand that let it, when we give something, we let go of a little bit of ourselves. We become more transparent. We're not so heavy. And we don't take ourselves so seriously, and then it's easier next time to let go. And not just let go of of small things, but let go of really big things. You know, of course, the really big thing, of course, is letting go of this body. When it comes to dying, do we know how to offer ourselves into what's happening? If we if we've practiced properly, if we've trained properly, prepared ourselves properly, well, then we learn how to offer ourselves into whatever's happening. Signing a Christmas card, well, we offer ourselves into signing a Christmas card. Just signing a Christmas card. Programming your mobile phone. I just got given a new phone. It's so complicated, this phone. It does everything. But almost impossible to find out how to make a phone call with it. Well, you know, you've got this manual and you've got this phone. You just have to offer yourself into programming the phone. The ringtones that it gave were just so ridiculous, I wouldn't be seen dead. <laughs> with those ringtones on my mobile phone. So we have to find some ringtones that are sensible. Now, you probably don't think that the abbot of a Buddhist monastery spends his time finding ringtones for his mobile phones. But we all have to do these things. If you don't want to look completely ridiculous, you've got to find a sensible ringtone for your mobile phone. But you can get flustered and frustrated, as I can tend to do when it comes to dealing with technology and, and manuals and so on. But also, you can just offer yourself into it. There's no resistance. What is the resistance? The resistance is me, selfishness. What's the medicine for resistance, for meanness? Generosity. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.